Cool. <clears throat> cool video, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. If you saw yourself in that video, on your way out, there's a royalty check for you on the table. Just grab it. Uh, <clears throat> man, I'm excited. I'm excited about... Uh, I don't know, man, just seeing that gets me fired up about really what our hope and what our prayer is for this thing. Um, what we want this night to be, what we want Wednesday nights to be um, is that. And we, we want it to be a place for the city. We want to we wanna reach people who, um, uh, who are looking for that, either who love Jesus, like we said, or who are far from him. And we want that to be a huge blessing to you guys, man. We want to go deep. We want to lead you well in worship. We want to dig deep into scripture and unpack truth and... <clears throat> But also, we want this to be a tool for you guys. And so uh, we, we made that video uh, partly so you could be able to show other people, man, what God's doing here, because we want this to be a tool for you to do the ministry that you are called and going to be held accountable for in making disciples, and that you can allow this ministry to partner with you as you are called to make disciples. And so you're walking with the people at your work and, and your apartment complex and your house and your family, and you're able to say, hey, it's not just on me. Hey, come and let me invite you into this community. And so that's really our hope behind this, and that's our desire for this. I'm pumped about it. Uh, good video. The voiceover was amazing, too. I don't know whose voice that was. Incredibly awesome voice. <clears throat> just kidding. I hate hearing myself. Okay, so, hey, welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Yes! Group hug. After the sermon, one huge, just flu-infested group hug, okay? Let's do it. Uh, here is where we're going in this series. Um, we are, uh, we're, we're taking the next five weeks, and Joshua K. Story and myself, we are going to be going through a, a five-week series on uh, the church. Um, we're we're going to unpack what the church is, what the purpose of the church is, what the design of the church is. Uh, our understanding and utilizing it uh, correctly um, is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and I believe that in my own life even, right, even being a guy who works for a church and spends my time a around the church, building up the church, there's all these elements to it that's like, man, we're, we're missing it. And so, and so we're going to look at five key aspects of, of areas that I think, man, th this is something that we've got to work in. We've got to work on. We've got to step into. Maybe we're not aware that this is an aspect of the church. Um, and if we're not, then we're missing out. We're missing out on God's design and purpose and, and part of his process in making us look like him. Um, so I want to illustrate that um, by, by using a, a literal instrument, because I think the church is an instrument. So who here knows how to play the piano? Raise your hand if you know how to play the piano. <clears throat> okay. So ra raise your hand again. So who actually, who really knows how to play the piano, right? Like who's like, okay, I'm pretty good at playing the piano? Yes. Right there. Is that Mason? Okay, Mason, do you know how to play the piano? Okay, come on up on stage. <clears throat> because we just happen to have a piano here. Yes. This is happening. Oh, wow. He came up immediately apologizing. Wait, no, no, I only... So you know one song? I know one song right now. Okay, cool. Does it have bad language in it? No, I'm not going to sing it. It doesn't have words. How do you know what you're going to do? I haven't even told you what you're going to do yet. How are you, by the way? I'm good. Thanks. Okay, good. How was the break? Good. The break was good? good. Nice, good. They're good. Is your family here? No, you I just point them out. Point I, them out no, to I just wanted to wave. You're just waving to people. Okay, this, this is my family. Okay, nice. This is good. Okay, so this is Mason. Mason, tell tell us. Can we unmute this mic right here? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Mason. I'm from Sammamish, Washington, which is near Seattle. Say that again. Sammamish, Washington. Okay. Everyone, try. Ready. One, two, three. Slamamish. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. 
Um, I go to TCU, and uh, yeah, anything else? Nice, but no, that's good. That's about it. That's good. Love you, man. Love Thanks. <clears throat> you were just right in a, a well-lit spot, and so when you raised your hand, and then I realized it was you, and I was like, oh, this will be fun. Okay, so, <laughs> so I want you to play something pretty on here. So play, use this, and play something pretty. Oh, yeah, let me see your talk. Okay, it's on. Pretty, like slow? Whatever. Mm, I'll, not slow. Pretty, though. Sure, whatever, man. It's not that we got to talk. People have to go to bed. So. Yes, that's awesome. Beautiful. Nice. Okay. I'm going to let him get back. Now, move, move. But don't leave. Okay. <clears throat> now... Watch me play that same thing. Right? Did you yeah, see that? That was good. All right, now I want you to play it one more time. I want you guys to make note of something. Okay, go for it. That's good. Nice, you're good. Thank you, Mason. Golly. Hey, Casey, can we incorporate that hook into one of our worship songs? Just right in the middle, we just go into, the office stirs my affections for Jesus. It does. <clears throat> it really does. Okay, thank you, Mason. Okay, so here's what I wanted to illustrate. Here's what I wanted to illustrate with someone who is talented versus someone who is not talented, okay? Um, I don't know how to use this instrument, right? Like, I don't know, like, I know how to push keys, See there? See, I know how to push buttons, and I can kind of pretend like, and it's like, oh, that kind of sounds cool, and that sounds cool. I don't know how to put it together. I don't know how to utilize that instrument, how it's designed to be utilized. And so throughout the next five weeks, when we think, why, what's, the, what's the point of five weeks here? Why are we talking about the church week after week? What's the point? Here's why. I believe, and I'm going to show you today biblically. I'm going to back this up. Um, but I believe God designed the church for a purpose. It is not a man-made thing that we built, right? It's not something that we created so that we get tax-exempt donations given, right? It's not an institution that, that humans made. It's something that the creator of the universe, who designed every, designed how things work, designed how things grow, the creator of the universe designed the church, the real church, the big C church, and he designed it for a reason. And I believe, and Josh and I both believe and, and ache with our hearts the, 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 the way that we're missing it whenever we're not utilizing the instrument, the way God designed it to be utilized. And so we said, man, let's take five weeks and camp out and say, this is how it's supposed to work. And if we're not doing it this way, if we're not utilizing this instrument, this tool, the way God designed it to, then we are missing out. Then we are missing out on what God has for us, on our growth, on our maturity, on the way that he set up community to work. We're missing out unless we can get some of these things in line. That's why we're spending five weeks on the church, because we believe it's important. It's not just important because we can keep our tax-exempt status. It's important because the real church, the big C church, the spiritual thing that God breathed life into and designed has a purpose in your life 
has a purpose in your life, and so we want to make sure we don't miss it, and we want to make sure that you don't look back decades from now and years from now and even stepping into eternity saying, man, I did not function, I did not know that that's what the church was supposed to be in my life. I just thought it was this, or I thought it was that, and I, I missed it. That we would grieve over. So, needless to say, it's pretty important. Tonight, uh, I'm going to move pretty quickly through just one, one idea. Right, one big idea, one aspect of that. There's a lot of things about the church that uh, we're not gonna say maybe through the series. We're not gonna have time to say. This isn't necessarily an all-encompassing. It's just us as kind of shepherds in this room saying, hey, man, what are five big things that we really feel like we wanna camp out on? Um, this is not necessarily you know, the best 10, 10 steps to a Bible church or anything like that. These are just one, one at a time characteristics and aspects of the church. So here's, here we go. One aspect for tonight. Matthew 16. Um, I'm going to throw it up on the screen if that's easier. If you've got your Bibles, it'd be awesome if you want to read along or there's Bibles underneath. But the reality is all the verses I'm going to read are going to be up on the screen, too, to make it easy for you. <clears throat> Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. <clears throat> Here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. So he's walking along, he says, who do they say I am? And, he, and some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And he asked his disciples, and Simon Peter, who I feel like he's always the guy who talks, Simon Peter in verse 16 says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So, so just real quick. Peter, a fisherman from Galilee, his entire religious structure that he was born into in the Jewish faith, right? And all of history has led up and pointed to the day where one day God will bring us his son, his, the true heir of, of David, the one true incarnate God who will come and be the Messiah and rescue all of God's people and save them, right? So all of, all of history has led up to that point. They're awaiting that. The entire Jewish faith is looking forward to that point in history. And here Peter, this fisherman in Galilee, says, yep, and that's you. You are that Messiah. You are the one we have been waiting for. You are the one who all of history was pointing to. All of the, what, what they knew of at the time, the scriptures, what we know of as the Old Testament, all of it pointed to, and now he's standing before this guy saying, it's you. Huge, bold claim professing that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Christ. Look at Jesus' reply in verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is big stuff. In fact, the reason we're unpacking this passage right here is because that verse right there in verse 18, what Jesus tells Peter, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. That Greek word is ekklesia. I will build my ekklesia. It is the first time we see that word in the New Testament. It is the first time it shows up. Jesus is prophesying in, in Matthew 16, yes, what you said is true, it is good, it is from God. You didn't come up with that on your own. God revealed that to you, Peter. And 
It is on this that I will build my church. And so if we're gonna spend five weeks talking about the church and the role and the importance and, and how we utilize it and how we whiff on it, we've gotta understand what is the real church. What is that idea that God designed, if it's truly from him? Um, so what does it mean and what's happening? Some, a little history about this verse in particular, this encounter, this particular encounter in Matthew 16. Um, one of the things that happens, and so if you're Catholic in this room, you might be tracking with me or you might not know that this is where it comes from, but uh, you might get there. Um, the Catholic faith, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, but my Catholic faith, one of the things that they do is their interpretation of this verse, right? Their interpretation of this verse is where they get the idea that Peter was the first pope. It's where they get the idea of popes in general, right? And so the Catholic faith has a pope. It has someone who is a, who is a vicar of Christ. It has somebody who um, in the faith is an authoritative voice. That's called the apostolic succession. And so the apostolic succession starts with Peter. And the Catholic church would say, hey, our pope speaks on behalf of God. So you've got the word of God, right? You've got the Catholic tradition, right? But then you've also got the pope as an authoritative voice speaking for God. I love the pope. I think I would love to hang out with him. I would even drink kombucha with the Pope if he would so allow it, right? And I would not say anything snarky or prideful about it. I would just take it because he's the Pope. And I think I could learn a ton from the Pope, right? However, as a Protestant, right, because of how I unpack Scripture and how I interpret Scripture, I don't believe that the Pope is authoritative in the same way that I would say the Word of God and the Spirit of God is authoritative. I think he's godly. I think he's an amazing leader, but I don't think he's authoritative. And the reason I don't this is so cool. It's because I interpret Matthew 16 differently than how the early Catholic church interpreted Matthew 16 because they interpret this as Jesus pointing to Peter, the story we just read. Peter says what he says, on this rock I will build my church. The interpretation of that for the Catholic church, they're gonna read this is on, this, on Peter, the church is built. So Peter's the first pope and then there's an apostolic succession. Apostles after him, there's somebody after Peter that he handed the mantle, somebody passed, handed it to this guy, handed it to this guy, handed it to this guy, and now we have the current pope. And so it's been passed on from one to the next, but it all started right here in Caesarea Philippi and that's where they begin. So, so I, I hear that. It's one of the reasons that I think the study of God's word is so important. It's one of the reasons we take it so seriously here because we don't wanna just believe things because that's what tradition said. We don't want to believe things because, well, it feels right or it's easy. We want to really wrestle with truth. And so here in this ministry at this church, but we, we, we find this book authoritative. But how do we interpret it? How do we interpret what's going on here? So let me give a little bit of context. I <laughs> actually got to go to Israel this last summer with some other peeps in this room. Um, and uh, it was awesome, right? Incredible thing. And my wife and I and some other people in this room, we stood uh, in Caesarea Philippi near what, what would have been the location of this, right, of this conversation of Jesus. Um, and, and one of the things in that area, right, there's rocks everywhere. And specifically, there's this massive, massive rock face. And almost every scholar believes this conversation either happened on top of that rock or right next to that rock. And where that rock was, uh, what it was, was it was a place that... Uh, it was, an, it was an altar to sacrifice to pagan gods. And so the context of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 16 is he is in the context at a rock with people who are worshiping false gods. 
people who are worshiping demonic gods, people who are worshiping pagan gods, sacrificing idols, sacrificing children, doing all kinds of things uh, in order to, to give their glory and their praise uh, to, these, to these false gods. And so what happens here is he says to Peter, it is upon this rock. And the rock is a play on the word of Peter's name, which means rock. And what he's saying is the profession of your faith. Let me read that part again. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, for this was not revealed by flesh and blood. It was revealed by my father in heaven. And I tell you that on this rock, his profession, what he just said, verse 16, on this rock, on this statement, right, on this idea that I am the Savior, this profession of faith, I will build my church. How we interpret the Bible is so important. It shapes so much of what we believe and how we act and what we do and how we love people well and how we, and how we function. How we interpret, if we believe this is authoritative, then we take that super seriously. And here, we would say, that is what God builds the church on. He builds it on the profession of faith. The church is what this means. The church, at its foundation is the gathering of those who profess that Jesus is Christ. When we talk for the next five weeks about the church and what it is, we answer it through the very first time it showed up in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, that is what I'm going to build it on. And that syncs with the rest of the New Testament. right? Verses that talk about believe in your heart uh, and profess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you will be saved. Right, this idea that it is our profession, it is our, our obedience to a submission to, yes, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one we've been waiting for. And that acknowledgement and that aligning with our heart, that is what the church is. It is a gathering of those people. There's all kinds of other really cool stuff in this passage I'm not going to have time to unpack, but just even the idea that this is Jesus' prophecy. And what we're doing today, tonight, Right as, as a group of people gathering to celebrate who Jesus is, to, to make much of him, to lift his name high, is, a, is fulfilling the prophecy 2,000 years ago that Jesus is saying, man, it's on that profession that I'm going to build this gathering that's about me. Also, we see in this verse, and we're actually going to spend an entire sermon on this later in the series, we see how Jesus gives a, a, us a glimpse into the power, right? the power and the role of the church. Right? Verse 18, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He's going to build his church, and the gates of Hades will not, not, not that the gates of heaven won't be overcome by Hades, but the gates of Hades won't be victorious against the church. What that implies is the church isn't a defensive game. The church is an offensive game. The church is an invasion. It's an awesome thing. We don't have time to unpack it. We're going to spend an entire week on that, of what that looks like and what the role is being an invasion against darkness in our city and in our lives. So most obviously, though, Jesus identifies what it is, right? It's a gathering of those who call him king. Now, I, I want to do something real quick um, about this word gathering. Um, and I just want to spend a little bit of time here because I just want this sermon to kind of be a, just to test the waters to show us, hey, here's where we're going and just to kind of tease out this big idea. But um, this idea of gathering is what the word ecclesia meant. So I'm going to nerd it up again. And if you're like, oh, man, this is nerdy, I get it, it's nerdy, but I think it's important. I think it's important because what we believe, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, what you believe is important. It's not just about, it's not just about how you feel with, with Christ, it's about what you believe. And so this idea, ecclesia, that word, that Greek word means gathering. So it shows up here, it shows up throughout the New Testament. 
if we were able to read Greek and we were able to look back and see the actual letter, right, that Matthew wrote or Paul wrote, we'd see this word ecclesia. And it means gathering. So why do we have the word church? Why don't we just have the word gathering? Here's why. 300 years after Jesus said this, these words, there became an emperor in Rome named Constantine. And Constantine made Christianity legal for the first time. Because in that 300-year window of time, when Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and his followers began the gathering of those who professed that he is the Savior, and they were indwelled by the Spirit, and the church began, and the church assembled, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. It was under 300 years of persecution, right? It was 300 years. It was born in persecution. It was people being martyred, or even if they were in a place where they weren't being martyred, they were still ostracized because they were Christians. It was weird, and it just it was this offshoot of Judaism, and it was rejected. And then Constantine shows up, and not only does he make it legal, he then becomes a Christian. And what happened 300 years later was it changed the church. And because of what Constantine did in saying, hey, I am now a Christian, and as the emperor, I'm saying Christianity is now the state religion, the Roman Christian, right? The Roman Catholic Church began, right? And what happened was it began to be institutionalized. It began to be institutionalized. And so what was the gathering of those who professed Jesus as their Savior then became, yes, those who gathered, but all of a sudden now we got buildings that we didn't have before. And now we've got some of the, some of the rituals that were used in other things. Okay, so well, for those religious ceremonies, they always wore robes. So now now we're gonna start wearing robes in, in these official ceremonies. We're gonna build big churches and we're gonna, we're gonna do all these other things because that's what we do and it's the official religion. And so because of that, it, it was some amazing things happened. For one, Christians stopped being murdered, right? All of a sudden, Christianity was now in some ways very accessible, but something happened to the church. It got institutionalized in some ways. And it got institutionalized in some ways that I think we still now feel the effects of if we are not fully utilizing and understanding what the church is. And even the word church, right, was actually a, a, a totally different word that we just substitute in there. We just substitute the word church, but that word actually means building, right? The root word for where we get church is a word that actually means building. But if you go back to scripture, right, if you go back to the words, the letters that were written, that wasn't the intention. God did not say, hey, I'm gonna build a bunch of buildings, he said, I'm going to create gatherings. I'm going to establish a gathering. It's going to be spiritual. It's not going to just be a, a one. It's going to be a spiritual gathering of people, the big C. They're going to be all across the world, but they're going to be the ecclesia, those who gather and celebrate me and know me and profess me. Why is that important? Why would I take the time? Why is that important? Because I think it sets up so beautifully the tension we now live in. It sets up the tension we now live in, and it sets up the one real big point I want you to walk away with from, from tonight. And that's that the church is not a building, right? And even for us, you know, kind of millennials who don't really care a whole lot about buildings, right? It's not a show. It's not an event that happens. The church, when God designed it, when he said that, root, that is the root that I'm going to grow the rest of this, it wasn't a show. It wasn't an event. It's a gathering of family. That is what the church is. And that's a really easy thing to say. And you can sit here and say, yeah, I know, it's a family. I get, I get it. But we don't live that out. And so I want to I prove that to you. 
It is a gathering of a family. And we know it's a gathering of family because uh, it's built on the profession of faith. And when we profess Christ, right, when we submit our hearts and align our hearts with Christ, then we become adopted, right? We become adopted by the God of the universe, right? We just preached through Ephesians all uh, last fall. And, and Ephesians is all about this concept of adoption. And so we have been adopted by the king of the universe and now have brothers and sisters. And so now we're a part of a gospel-centered family, to believe in Jesus is to be in this family. It's not a show we attend, it's a family to belong to. We say that a lot, and we don't say it because it sounds cool and because it's cliche. We say it because we believe it, and we have to keep reminding ourselves that because our default setting is to shift into a show. Right? Let, me, uh, let me show you how, how I know that to be true. <clears throat> let me contrast uh, these, these things. <clears throat> when we function like the church is a show rather than a family, one of the things that we, we do uh, is we shift into kind of this single-serving consumerism mode. And so what we do is we evaluate and we say, well, you know what? I like that church because we're misinterpreting that wrong, word wrong. I like that church because I like that preacher guy, but I like the music over there, and I like the guys at this church, but I like the location of this church. And what we're doing when we do that is we're buying into a false concept of what the church is. I, was, uh, I attended a church uh, when I was young and uh, before, before I was married. I think I was dating Danielle at the time. And I drove an hour. I drove maybe 45 minutes to an hour from Garland, Texas. Anybody from Garland? Oh, that's my sister-in-law, so she doesn't count. I mean, you count in life, but you're from Garland. You're from North Garland. I was from South Garland. That was the real Garland. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay, so anyway, sorry. Really, there's nobody else from Garland here? Sad. Okay, anyway, I digress. We need to get Garland saved. Okay, so. <clears throat> uh, okay, so I was driving from Garland, right? And I was driving 45 minutes to an hour to a, to a church, right, to a building. And it has, I think, probably one of the best communicators ever of the truth of God. Right? I, think he is one of, I think he's one of my favorite communicators, an amazing preacher, right? The worship was amazing, right? It was, it was awesome. It was incredible. You know, every week I left pumped, you know, and energized and all that stuff. I was not known there. I was driving 45 minutes to an hour, get there, maybe find a parking spot, run in, sit in the back. Oh, man, this guy is awesome. Oh, man, this music is great. Wow, this is so cool, man. This is so better than those Garland churches. Awesome. Get back in my car, drive back to Garland, Right? I was functioning, right, with a, a false... Now, let me hear you. The, the preaching of that guy has shaped my life and changed my life. So I wouldn't say we ever stop intaking truth, right? We don't stop intaking worship or stop intaking truth. But when I considered myself going to that church and a part of that church, I was missing the design of the church. I was functionally just going to a show, right? And the only people I would interact with were people who drove with me. I wasn't really, no, I wasn't submitted to any leadership. I, was, I wasn't actually a part of that family. I was just going to a show. There have been other churches in my life where there are men in those churches and women in those churches who know me, who have called me out, who've spoken into my life, who have walked with, with my wife and I through miscarriages and through hard stuff. And they've been there, right? And they've been the family of God. And they've interacted in a way that has profoundly shaped my life in a totally different way and in the way that God designed us to be. Now, you are here at Renovate. We care about excellence. 
We don't want to apologize. We have some of the most talented musicians ever. Those musicians love Jesus, and they want to make much of him, not put on a great show. I know them. Right? I know Casey. I know Brett's heart. Right? I know Richard and Chike. These guys, I know their heart is not to put on a great show. They want to usher people in. They want to use their gifts to stir people's affections so that God receives glory. We do these things with excellence. We serve food. We, we have lights and a nice room, and we turn on the AC or turn on the heat, and we do those things unapologetically, not to say, oh, we don't care about the show. We're going to minimize everything. We do them with excellence because we want to bring God glory and we want to tear down as many, as many stumbling blocks for somebody to come in. We want to be inviting and professional and all those things. But at the end of the day, this is not about that. We remind ourselves in meetings every week as we're preparing for this, it is not about that. This is about the family of God. This is about people. Who, what is God doing in this room? Who is he bringing? How do we love each other well in this room? The church is not a show, it is a family. And if we're not taking advantage of that, if we're not taking advantage of that, then we are, we are missing God's design for it. Um, I've got a bunch of verses about that. Um, I'm gonna spout them out. I don't have time to unpack all of them, but let me be honest with you. The New Testament points to that. Right? The entire New Testament points to that. Every letter Paul wrote just about was to a church Right, to this family of people who were assembling. Right? The entire, even the structure of the New Testament testifies to this idea that this is built around people who know each other and are walking deeply with each other, not shows or services or events to put on or, or buildings to build. Those aren't bad things. The service is not a bad thing. The building is not a bad thing. Excellence is not a bad thing. Quality is not a bad thing. But it is not the main thing. Uh, Acts 2.42, we'll th just throw it up on the screen. They devoted themselves as the early church after Jesus had ascended. They, meaning the disciples, those who had professed faith, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, right? They spent time together, fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 1 John 1, 3 through 7 says this. Man, there's so much here. It says this. I'm just gonna give you a flyby. John says, we proclaim to you, he's talking to these other believers, these other people who are part of this gathering we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also, so that you also may have fellowship with us. So even right there, he says, hey, I'm proclaiming the truth of God, who he is, the profession of faith. I'm proclaiming to you the gospel of Jesus so that you might have fellowship with us. Right? So that you might have fellowship with us. Look uh, just a couple of verses down from there. He says, but if we walk in the light, in verse seven, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we're walking with Christ, then we should have fellowship with one another. We should be in fellowship with one another. Not in social settings, but in fellowship. We should know each other. We should walk closely together. Hebrews 10, last verse I'm just gonna throw at you like a fire hydrant. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Talking about Jesus returning. <clears throat> we gather, we gather, that's a good thing. This is a holy, good, awesome thing. We show up and we make much of Jesus and we, and we remind ourselves of who he is when we submit to truth and we open up and we say, man, I what, do we understand this passage? Are we interpreting it correctly? What's that mean? What's that word mean? How do we apply that to our life? We do that 
as a part of God's design, as a part of being a part of the family of God, that is not the point. We gather together and we remind ourselves of who he is as a family, not just as an event. There's a commitment to that. There's a commitment. Now, there's two hurdles to this, right? I'm just going to go over these two hurdles and then, and then we're just going to keep responding in worship. But the two hurdles to this happening in our life are, are this that I can tell. One, the two hurdles of us really applying and really saying, yeah, I'm taking advantage of the family, not just the, not just the show, not just the consumerism. The first is this. We love the show. That's the first hurdle. We love the show because it's safer, guys. It is way safer. It is way safer to just come, pick, pick your favorite preacher, right? Pick your favorite worship venue, your favorite group, and to just kind of show up and, and not be known, not get connected, not fill out a connect card. Or you filled out a connect card, nobody texted you back, and you just dropped it, right? Or, or okay, I'm going to come to this thing, but I'm not going to get out of my comfort zone and get in a home group, or I'm not going to show up at this, or I'm not. I, I get it. I, man, I, I get it. So much of church, too, becomes this thing that really caters to extroverts. And so if you get an introvert in that, there's even this other wave of attack. I, I get it. You're not crazy for thinking that. But I don't want to leave you there. I want you to know, brother and sister, that you're missing out if, if you're not taking advantage of that. That's why, we do, that's why we get up here and talk about all the stuff that we're doing. We've got calendars and we've got websites and follow us on social media. It's because we want this to be a community, man. We want you guys to be known. We want you to be loved the way the family of God is supposed to be loved. And that's what the next four weeks are going to shape. That's why the next four weeks are so important. That's why I don't want you to miss the next four weeks. Or if you do, just listen to them. Because Josh and I are going to unpack, okay, great, we're a family, but what does that look like and how do we do that and how does that family function and what is its purpose? But it all starts with the linchpin of we are family. We are family if we're in Christ. Every other aspect of this doesn't work if we don't have that as the base, as the foundation that Christ builds his church on. We are family. The show is really, really fun. And that really can be a hurdle because it can be just this safe thing that we do. Or we can just get in awe of, well, wait a second, that place seems way more emotionally stimulating. I'm gonna go there. Right? Like, man, that seems really cool. And so we just bounce and we bounce. And if that's a tendency in you like it was in me, then I love you so much, but I think you're missing out. Or if you're just here to meet that guy or meet that girl, I love you, I hope you do. But man, what's the main reason you're here? Are you gathering to profess Jesus or are you coming to consume? Be careful with that. That's really dangerous. That line is really dangerous. And here's the other hurdle. One, one hurdle is that, man, the show is just comfortable. The second hurdle is we don't know what family is supposed to look like. Right? We don't know what that looks like or the family we had we didn't like. And so to say that church is supposed to be family, well, my family sucked. So I don't want that. Right? And we project that on us. Right? And we project that on the church. And the church's perception is awful. And we earn it, too, as a church, man. We, we, be, we can become super clicky, and we can become super judgmental. And we've got all kinds of perception things that are rooted in, that are rooted in reality and a lot of blind spots of, of this imperfect family. But we need other people to stick around and say, hey, man, I think this is a blind spot. And speak truth and speak love. And we're going to talk about that some in the next four weeks. But maybe it's because you didn't know what that family looks like. You didn't know what it was meant to be. And maybe you don't know how to function like that because you didn't have a healthy, functioning family. Man, my hope is that the church redeems that. 
God's design is that the church redeems that for you, redeems that for you. And one day when you are, when you are at the core of a family, right, you are leading a family or you, whatever that looks like in your life, in your future, that it's been redeemed because of how you were a part of the family of God and it shaped and taught you how to love and how to do all the things we're gonna be talking about the next four weeks. I want that so badly for you. I want that for my, my life. I want that for my boys' lives. I want that for you guys, your life. That you, that you are a part of a family that changes and shapes you. And so that's where we're going in the next four weeks too. You're known. People know your sin. You know other people's sin and there's grace. We do life together. We serve together. It's a family. <clears throat> Three things, I'm gonna end on this. Three things I hope you get out of uh, tonight. This is, this is it. This is what I hope that you are walking out of with kind of this intro talk to just set the table for the, the next four weeks. I hope that you uh, tonight, <clears throat> of these three things, I hope one, I hope that you learned, right? I, I hope that you heard a cliche term that I think pretty much everyone in this room has, has heard before, got it in the video that you watched before I even hopped up on stage, Right? Mason even beat me to the punch by giving my big idea of the sermon and the piano, right? When he said, man, this is a part of this family. This is my family, right? Like that, that idea is a cliche term. But my hope is that we learn, wait a second, this is foundational to who Jesus says we are. And that we, we kind of get this idea of, okay, I, I, I understand that my design and my challenge and to be able to use this instrument correctly is to be a part of a family, is to be known deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper that this church is purposeful for those who are in Christ. It has a purpose. And then my second thing I hope you get out of tonight is that you're challenged, and you're challenged with this, that you're challenged to take something that you knew walking in, a lot of you, but you, you take it and you take it deeper, and you're challenged to actually practically apply that. And you're challenged tonight to say, okay, before next week, what does that look like to do that better? to either be a better family member or reach out of your comfort zone, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you're not known, and I love wherever you're at. Maybe you're plugged into a different church, and I love that, right? But, but then you go back to that church and you say, man, am I really known here, and I wanna go deeper there. Great, cool, we'll keep encouraging you, but the fact that you're plugged in somewhere that is gospel-centered, it doesn't have to be here, it doesn't have to be Christ Chapel. It could be anywhere that's preaching the gospel, submitting to the word of God, but take my encouragement, go and truly be a part of that church, submit to them, be known by them, be a part of that family. Apply that. Don't just understand that. Apply that to your life. Apply it to your life. Get in a home group real practically. Um, text somebody on staff, hey, let's get coffee. I want to be known more. Fill out a Connect card. Uh, show up at sports. Um, all kinds of different ways to do that. You know where you're at. You know what that looks like in your life. Um, but that is definitely my hope that, that, you, uh, that you're challenged to actually do that. And so then here's the last thing I hope you get out of tonight. And this is a, this is a total Holy Spirit thing, <clears throat> so I don't have any ability to make this happen. Um, but my hope is that you are stirred. Um, and that what you get out of tonight is that you're stirred. Because... If the church, right, the big C is the gathering of those who profess Jesus, then that means if you have professed Jesus and if you are in Christ, then that means you've been adopted as a son or as a daughter. That means you're a part of the family. And what that means is that you've been redeemed. And all of your mess, 
right? All of your mess and all of your junk and all of your sin and all of your shortcoming. What this means, right, what Matthew 16 means and what it means to be a part of a church is it means you are part of a body of believers who have been redeemed. And that can't just stay as information we hear in a sermon. And that can't just turn into just real practical application of, okay, I understand I'm a part of a family, and so now I'm going to go sign up for these functions that will make me more a part of a family. What has to happen is we have to acknowledge that there is a Holy Spirit transformation that is and will and has to take place to stir my affections to say, oh my God, he loves me. He loves me where I, where I am. He loves me where I shouldn't be. And he calls me to something better. And if we hear that we are a part of a family of God and that doesn't stir our affections, I'm not sure that we know who our God is. If we hear that we've been adopted into a family and that doesn't stir our affections and it doesn't make us think, oh my God, what an amazing gift. What an amazing gift. Then I think it reveals that we've got a shallow view of what it means to be a part of the church. And instead we say, wow, I get to be a part of the model family. And that changes everything and it will shape my life and it will change everything. It will produce joy and it's the, it's the way the instrument is designed to be played. I want that. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me that. Show me how to step into that. I am redeemed. Because we don't get to be a part of that without being redeemed. And it means all the sin that you're afraid somebody knows about you, all the junk that's keeping you from stepping into that family more and more vulnerably, all of that stuff has already been paid for. And you get to stand with a crowd of other broken people who've got all kinds of secret sin and say, we are redeemed. That should stir our affections for Jesus Christ, the one who has redeemed us. Man, I hope we get that. I hope the Holy Spirit does that tonight. More than anything, I hope the Holy Spirit does that and gets us excited to say, okay, the next month, Lord, let me let me wrap my hands and my head and my heart around what it means to be a part of your church. Not the institution, not Christ Chapel, but your church in a way that changes my future. God, let me have that. That is my prayer, that is my hope, that is the work of the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit. But we're gonna try to do a good job of preaching the word and getting out of the way and letting him do business with you. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this series, Lord, that you've laid on leadership's heart here at this church. And God, we want this. Uh, we want more of you. We want to be people who, um, who function the way you've designed us to function and utilize this thing that you've created and you've built from history, this people of God, this this gathering of believers, and we want to do it right, God. We don't want to look back and just see a shallowness to the way we walked in community. Lord, would you truly make that happen, God? Would you raise up a community in this room of people who um, aren't just friends, but they're family members in, in ways that's transformative in their life? And then, Lord, personally, between us and you, Lord, would you continue to stir our affections for you? That the idea that being a church is being a part of the family of God, Lord, that that is something that would never feel shallow to us. But instead, that that concept would, would just remind us of the gift that you've given us. Would put us in awe of the kind of gift giver that you are, that you have built something for us like that. That powerful, that beautiful, that incredible. And over the next four weeks, God, would 
you do what only you can do. Draw us close to you and use your church to do it. Bless my brothers and sisters in this room for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.